0: For joining us. Uh, my name is Matt Curtis. Uh, I founded Smart City Policy Group a few years ago and I've been working on a lot of issues related to the subject we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's a great conversation we're going to have. We have a great panel. We've got a great speaker who's going to join us at the top of this conversation. We're talking about mobility, innovation, and policy solutions, really. Uh, and, and what a time to talk about it. You know, we're just getting through this pandemic. We all see the back end of the pandemic uh, on our way. We sure hope. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, we're talking about how cities are going to change, how cities are going to evolve. What are we going to do differently to plan for the future of cities to really maximize our communities so that they get the best for mobility? Well, we're going to be talking about those things today and then over the course of the next several months uh, as we carry on this content in a monthly format through these uh, web calls or uh, webinars like this. Uh, and this takes the place of what was supposed to be an in-person summit that we were gonna have in Austin during the U.S. Conference of Mayors back in August. But unfortunately due, due to our rising COVID levels at that time, we had to cancel our uh, com- our summit. The U.S. Conference of Mayors canceled their uh, get together as well. Uh, and unfortunately that has happened to so many different conferences during those periods of time. But now we're starting to see uh, some COVID levels change in different communities and some conferences start to get get, get together live and in person again. So we hope that in 2022, we're all able to see one another live and in person. We certainly would rather do that than uh, have to do more Zoom calls, we know that. I know that many of you are watching through a variety of different modes. Uh, There's uh, different online uh, uh, portals to be able to watch this. And then many people uh, ask for a recording of this. So we've got a lot of folks that registered uh, for this conversation, watching it live here uh, as we go through this discussion today. And then so many of you who will watch a recorded version of this as well. And hopefully you can pick up uh, and join us live or or watch a recording of the future uh, summits as we go through this for the next couple of months. Uh, Again, my name is Matt Curtis, founded Smart City Policy Group and working on mobility innovation, mobility solutions, uh, and also different solutions that cities are struggling with, mostly around the emerging technology, uh, new innovation economy issues. So I wanted to tell you that we have a great panel that's gonna join us here and go through a session uh, with us today. All-Star Group, very excited about them. We had a little bit of a talent change though, of, of one of the members of our, uh, of our, uh, our panel, uh, Karina Ricks, the transportation director and mobility director from Pittsburgh, got an appointment to the FTA. So she is busy doing something else all of a sudden. Uh, I don't know that she fully expected that to happen, but however it happened, we wish her well. But we are joined by somebody who's just a legend in the space. We're excited to have him. And his name is Rick Usher. Many of you know him. He's the former assistant city manager of Kansas City, just stepped down a few months ago and has been a real champion for emerging technology issues. We'll see uh, Rick here in a little bit. Uh, Also on that panel as well, an icon uh, who's been working on mobility issues for a long time and a real champion. for women in transit and for mentorship programs, Cami Horn from VIA in San Antonio. And then another well-known cat, uh, my friend Ali Vahabzadeh who started Chariot It since has gone off and started Curb Flow, a savvy guy who is doing something incredible with some real mobility innovation solutions. But first up, we have the former mayor of the city of Austin, Texas, our former uh, state senator for the central Texas area, a fellow that's really well known. And If we were live and in person, I'd be inviting him up on stage, but instead, I just have to have him camera on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Senator Kirk Watson. Senator, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Matt, for having me be part of this. This is fun. Terrific. Uh, Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, so I'm going to camera off here in just a moment and just let you go. Uh, But we (laughs) sure do appreciate all the work that you have done on mobility for years. You know, so many people know that uh, the Central Texas area has been challenged with real mobility issues for decades. And yes, we're going to be challenged with more issues for decades. But uh, you've been leading the charge on that discussion and helping us through a very process oriented and detailed discussion for years. And we sure do appreciate you for that. Well, I
1: appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I'll get uh, the camera off and let you go. Have a good time. Good deal. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll talk for a few minutes. I won't filibuster today. Uh, but I appreciate this opportunity, and, and I'm so glad to, to get to talk about mobility because I'm convinced that uh, it, it runs through pretty much everything we all want to do uh, if we want to be part of smart cities, as, as, as Matt has talked about. And I think we're at a, at a really exciting point in time and, and frankly, uh, a point in time that because of the excitement, because of, of the way things are going in some ways, it also creates some real challenges about how it is that we wanna face the future. So I'm gonna take a few minutes and I'm just gonna talk about how it is we go about trying to prepare for the future and be uh, have a future where we know we're going to have success in our cities and in our counties and regions. Um, and I think the way to start off, at least for me, I I, I want to start with the idea that as we face the future, I want to I want to step back just a little bit and consider how it is that we got here, how how we figure out uh, what, what, where we are as as we move forward, and I think we can point to two overlapping and very important points of reference for economic success. Uh, Some people might refer to them as transitions that lead to economic success. Uh, The first is what are the assets that we look to and and, and where does that put us today? You know, in the old days, a long time ago, the asset was um, it was land. Uh, the, the folks that had the land they they were the wealthy, they had the money uh, even if you know some in some instances it's because it had, um, oil and gas under it, or it was just uh, large uh, ranching operations. But land was the, the the key asset. Well, that transitioned, as we know, with the industrial revolution, and the new asset that that people look for for economic wealth, economic security, economic growth were manufacturing assets. It was how do we get a manufacturing asset? Uh, located in our community. The jobs may not be paying that great, but at least there were jobs there as part of that. Um, and that has now transitioned as well. And of course, we all know what that transition has been. It's gone from land to manufacturing assets to brain power. It's gone to uh, intellectual uh, energy and capacity and imagination and creativity Uh, and so now we talk about educated workforces and that's the asset that we want what's interesting about that of course is what we're talking about in that respect is is people Uh, so that leads to the second point of reference and and that point of reference is people now because of technology can live anywhere they want to live. And goodness gracious knows, the pandemic has proved that even more so. Because, and, and look at what we're doing right now. All over the country, we're participating in our own place, our own home, our own office uh, with, with, with computers. So technology makes it where people, the, the asset of the economy can go anywhere it wants to go. So how do we deal with that? Well, what's going to happen and what we're seeing happen is that some places, uh, you know, they weren't economic powerhouses before, but you don't need a port anymore. You can be a portal. You don't need to have large masses of land. You don't need to have large populations because the truth of the matter is in today's age, we can access workers. We can access capital. We can access markets and customers anywhere in the world 24 hours a day with the push of a button. So people will go to places that make life very happy, uh, those cities and those uh, regions that are able to provide what folks want. Now, I, I, I got the great good fortune as a very young man of being able to move to Austin, Texas. And uh, Austin, Texas was a much smaller place when I first got here. But there's no uh, coincidence that Austin is a focal point in a worldwide knowledge economy because we're surrounded by great institutions of higher learning, including the wonderful University of Texas at Austin. It's no coincidence that we're a focal point in a creative economy. Uh, At the very same time, we like to brag We brag about a lot, but we like to brag that we're the live music capital of the world. Creativity begets creativity. And we also, uh, the number one bumper sticker in Austin, Texas, is not as it should be, vote for Kirk Watson. Um, It is instead, keep Austin weird. And what I've always thought that really was about was being open to new thoughts, new ideas, new people, because every idea, pretty much every idea, the first time you hear it, somebody's gonna say, well, that's kind of weird. But Austin has always been open to that. But with the growth that we've seen as a result of that, there are also challenges that come with it. Cost of living and affordability is impacted. We see displacement of communities. Growth sometimes happens so fast, that it's difficult to manage how you do it. You have things where you you no longer have enough capacity for people on the traditional roadways. You run into some cultural issues where you talk about how are we going to grow to provide more housing stock, but what does that do to traditional neighborhoods that people have been defending and growing for some time? And what is the impact on quality of life? And that leads to the concept of transportation. Because I think transportation is key and it runs through all of those kinds of things. How we get around is going to make a key difference in how it is we have economic success in the future as places that attract people and places that want to attract people try to figure out what's next. Of course, those that want to to be that are seeking to be economic powerhouses, uh, they're going to need to meet a lot of the traditional types of transportation modes. They're gonna need to work and figure out how they get ahead in some way, how you build more capacity into that, how you make it more inviting where it's not just about roads, but instead it's about things like land use, how you address climate change, how you avoid displacement. Those sorts of issues will make it more complicated. There's going to be a need to, to look at transit, and uh, in, 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 including rail. And I'm very proud that in, in Austin, uh, we recently passed a multi-billion dollar effort called Project Connect to bring more rail. Because, frankly, we hadn't had enough rail um, in Austin, Texas. And if we want to stay in the role that, that, that we've been trying to create, we're going to need more of that. But in addition to that, I think we're going to need to think about it beyond just the traditional transportation thought. In this region, we have San Antonio, 110 miles to the south. We have Waco, 110 miles to the north, on that traditional road known as Interstate 35. Over to the east of us, just 70 miles, we also have the location of one of the great institutions of higher education, Texas A&M University. The reason I bring all that up is because I've always felt like smart regions, those regions that are going to be those economic powerhouses of the future, when they think about moving people, well, obviously roads tend to get congested. But if they think about rail, many times they fall into the old fight about roads versus rail that we've all experienced. I've often thought, why don't we think about it from a different perspective? What would it be like in this region if we tied together all of the engineering schools from San Antonio to Waco and over to, to uh, Texas A&M, or what if we were focused on how we can get students through college quicker by tying together all the community colleges in a non-congestible way, uh, if non-congestible is a word, but but in a by by doing it with rail or in other means that would allow people to move, maybe take classes in multiple places, but get out of that old fight of roads versus rail and make it more about something like education and the future. So what are regions gonna look for next? Your panel's gonna talk a lot about this and I'm just gonna move over pretty quickly, but, but there's a lot of changes because of that technology I talked about. We're gonna hear talk about in the future about curbside management, uh, helping connect people to the, to the curb more efficiently, autonomous delivery and creating a better way so that people can get what they need to their door and they may not need to get out on the road. Or one of my favorites, uh, air taxis. Um, Evitol uh, is gonna be connecting cities through, you know, through flying cars and we're already seeing experiments with that. What will that do in regions that are want, wanting to be on the cutting edge? And of course, autonomous freight will play a big role. The truth is that that, that planning our cities, planning our regions um, are going to have real needs. I mean, we're going to, we're gonna really need to be doing that. And there are gonna be a lot of those innovations from technology, and it's going to feel very futuristic, but it's on us. It's there already. And it's gonna create in some instances, some disruption. But those places that are willing to experiment, uh, willing to even fail, but fail fast, they're going to make a lot of difference. So as I leave you, what I wanna do is I wanna end with this. All of us need to be thinking about the technology, of course, and what is next. But I'm going to encourage everybody to start with the premise of how do we integrate These new innovations and these new thoughts into local government in a way that's effective? Uh, What processes are we going to look to so that local elected officials are actually learning about and embracing the best ideas and at the same time making sure that they're meeting and understanding and touching the needs of their community? And in that instance, I'm going to leave you with five quick thoughts. First, there has to be constant communication. It has to be relentless. It has to be there all of the time. It needs to be something that builds an educational system around transportation for the public. So that what that will do is it will build trust and it will avoid the same old arguments, even when they might not apply, but people immediately run to their corners. Of course, that's very lazy, but the way to overcome that laziness is a relentless and constant communication strategy. Second, everyone needs to be participating in a learning process, trying to learn about what is next, what is happening, and what are people saying about that. Need to be fully engaged in a learning process, and that will actually influence the communication that goes out but those of us that want to be leaders in this have to be fully engaged in that. Third, it needs to be multi-jurisdictional. We need to be talking across those lines on a map that really mean nothing when it comes to transportation and our needs. And let's think big. Let's not just think the city or this region. Let's think about big regions in addition. Fourth, we need to always be looking to understand community impacts. And that means that as part of the planning process, we need to be looking for what could be the unintended consequences of this. And then fifth, and last, and I truly mean not least, equity has to always be on the front end of our discussion. Consensus needs to be built, but consensus needs to be more complete than what we typically see. And in my mind, the only way to truly do that in transportation and in other things is to make sure that we make we put equity at the front of the line. So I look forward to your your panel discussion. Matt, thank you for having me be part of this and good luck to everybody. God bless you. No, thank you. I think you probably are
0: hearing, uh, it's hard to, if if we were only in a live audience, you'd be hearing just uh, uh, a a standing ovation. Probably a lot of real excitement there. Thank you so much. That was incredible. Uh, I think there was probably a lot of people who are listening to you and probably hoping that you'll come to their community and have the same conversation. That'd be nice. Perfect. That was spot on. And it really started this whole series very well. So thank you, sir. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Matt. Everybody stay safe, happy, and healthy. You bet. Thank you. You too. All right, that was incredible everybody. So uh it was just incredible to have that uh that level of discussion, you know, and I that uh, those thoughts were just amazing. I have a feeling a lot of you were probably scribbling down notes. Please know that there's going to be a recording made available for, uh, uh, of this, so that you can get those quotes because they were great. They, it was just right up—you know—you knocked it out of the park. So if we were live and in person, I'd be inviting my friends to come up on stage. But instead, I'm going to ask them to just turn their cameras on and uh, take their their uh, microphones off mute the awkwardness of uh being here in the zoom world that we're in but we've got some really good friends who are joining us and we're lucky to have them here i'm just going to introduce folks as i uh see them join uh and i'm going to start with uh, our friend uh from just south of us here in austin texas cammy horn cammy uh i know that um you know, uh, women in transportation really look to you as a leader. You've done so much on that subject and, and really building mentorship programs and all that sort of thing. But, uh, also you've done so much in the planning world and in, in transportation and transit. So we're excited to talk to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Give us a little wave. How are you doing? Uh, and, uh, uh, my very, very, very dear friend. We've been in the trenches together for a long time. Ali Vahabzadeh. Uh, Ali, it's so great to see you. You're a father since I saw you last. How are you? Good. And uh, somebody else I've been in the trenches with, especially in local government issues, the former assistant city manager of Kansas City and a man who's kind of a, a legend on the emerging technology policy discussion uh, 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 side of things, Rick Usher. Rick, thanks very much for joining us. We really hey, appreciate it. for
2: having me, Matt. Hey, and we're also your neighbor here, just north on I-35. There you go.
0: Right. <laughs> I do tell people all the time. I, I, you know, I think that there are, you know, so many people look to Austin as being uh, an IT city, but I think there are so many other cities that are also IT cities and are doing things really well. And we're lucky to have a couple of folks that are uh, you know, have done so much in those cities. San Antonio being one of them. And we'd love to dive into that conversation a little bit more. But Kansas City, you know, your work in Kansas City is incredible. And for everybody who hasn't gone to visit Kansas City, I highly uh, recommend it. Great town. You guys have a, a, a really great embrace of how you're re- redeveloping the city and embracing uh, mobility solutions, along with other emerging technology solutions. So thank you. Cammy, I'd love to start with you, and I'm going to start uh, just by asking, uh, uh, you know, Really just a a simple question, just so that the folks here who are watching can get get to know you and the other panelists that are joining us here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing with VIA in San Antonio.
3: Sure. Well, thank you. And yes, I was madly scribbling notes as well. That was amazing presentation by Senator Watson. Um, So um, excited to be here. I've been in transportation for about 25 years, both um, pretty much multimodal. I've worked um, across the country. Um, I've I've worked in Texas, Um, I I worked a little bit for the Federal Transit Administration in Washington DC, I worked a lot with the transit system um, in Utah as it was uh, building. Uh spent several years in Phoenix with Valley Metro, working with Valley Metro Rail on the private side. And, um, you know, this is my uh, first major foray uh, into uh, a transit agency. I've been with VIA for about two and a half years now, and I'm the senior vice president of planning and development. So that covers a wide range of things, engineering, planning. Uh, strategic planning, um, as well as our real estate and very fundamentally our service planning and scheduling. Um, so that's, um, that's me. Um, I, um, so I'm, I'll be excited to talk about some of the things that we're doing here at VIA on a personal note too. I'll, I'll say that, um, um, as of June, I have decided in San Antonio to be carless, and so to go ahead and learn more and really experience. Um, it is a personal choice for me, and I, and I, and I realize that to, to give up um, the automobile, but um, that's what I've done. And, and, you know, I would really challenge folks out there to uh, think about even in doing something like that, even for a day or two out of the week um, to, to learn more about public transportation. But that's me and I'm really looking forward to our discussion today.
0: Terrific, you know, uh, um, I'm gonna ask you about something uh, here in just a moment, but first I, I do wanna tell you that everyone compliments, the people that I know in San Antonio, compliment your work on art and transit. So bringing art to transit and really making those uh, stops more, you know, just more more interesting. Uh, and then those in the innovative bus stops that you've developed there along the, uh, along the bus, different bus corridors, just uh, people complimenting those very much. So that's something that the folks who are watching or watch the recording can always look to as an example of something that you might want to model in your town. So another person who is Carlos and uh, somebody who's going to want to uh, probably match you for his carless uh, experiences is my friend, Ali, who's joining us from New York, I believe.
4: Are you, are you in New York today, Ali? Well, you might be still be on me. I am Matt, and I'm sorry to disappoint. Oh, um, I'm sorry to disappoint you and everyone else, but Uh, Last year, uh, I got my first car at the age of 43 years old. Uh, So it was the pandemic. Uh, We had our first child and uh, we were in San Francisco. So 43 years without a car, I think that's a pretty good one. And I look forward to, uh, you know, getting the kids off to college in 20 years, uh, if, if there is college in 20 years and getting rid of the car again that's great
0: uh i'm not gonna i'm gonna call you later about the fact that you said kids um yeah <laughs> so uh uh now you are joining us in new york uh but you know you've you, you you've moved to new york recently from another city the folks who are watching don't might not all know but i feel like so often when i bring up the first company that you started or at least the first one that i know of uh people go oh yeah no that was great tell us a little bit about your background especially with maybe with uh chariot and then Kirkflow.
4: Yeah, 11 years ago, I moved from New York to San Francisco. And when I arrived there, I realized mass transit wasn't as good as it was in New York. And um, I didn't do anything except bike to work and bus to work uh, in the beginning, but then quickly realized that there was more demand for public mass transit than there was supply of mass transit in San Francisco, all over the the city. So uh, within several weeks, uh, a small team and I, uh, put together a, uh, um, a chariot, which was uh, 15 passenger, 14 passenger vans, uh, crisscrossing the city from mostly residential to work neighborhoods in the morning, and the reverse commute in the evening, and within months we had 200 of these vans crisscrossing the city, uh, carrying several thousand commuters uh, a day at uh, at an average cost of four and a half dollars per ride, and uh, that quickly led to an enterprise uh, business where companies and HR managers and facility managers were calling us saying, "Hey." I don't know what you're doing on these chariots, but our employees are walking in with big smiles on their faces. And is there any way we can subsidize um, their chariot fares, uh, And even further, is there any way we can create uh customized routes for our Dropbox employees or, you know, Genentech employees, things like that. So um, we quickly uh, put together an enterprise business and served 140 uh, Bay area businesses um, by 2016, 2017. And, uh, uh, and then in 2016, we sold the company to to the Ford Motor Company, and promptly expanded to Austin and uh, several other cities, including uh, including London, uh, before I departed in 2018.
0: And then you've gone off and started CurbFlow. Tell us about CurbFlow for a minute.
4: Yeah, one of the reasons I uh, I left Chariot or Ford was because I saw this huge opportunity to. Produce and provide a marketplace uh, around the curb. Uh, so, at Chariot, one of our biggest, if not our biggest, operational challenge was finding safe and reliable curb space on, on you know, in real time on demand for our vans to pull over and safely uh, load or disembark our our passengers. Uh, we never solved it, obviously, because there's chaos at the curb. Uh, pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic, if there is a post-pandemic uh, in, in all the cities that we uh, operated in. Never solved it. Everyone's got the same issue, whether it's DoorDash, Uber, UPS, the local produce company. Um, and so I wanted to solve that. Um, so obviously I pick very, very easy uh, problems to solve. And, uh, and we got a couple of takers in the city of Washington, DC and Columbus, Ohio. Uh, offered us curb space to actively manage and create a market around uh, dozens of curb spaces in their central business districts, where we invited uh, commercial and on-demand drivers to register and use our app to find available curb space in real time for them to pull over to the curb as opposed to the typical double parking and, and use that managed curb flow space Um, for their loading and unloading activity of people parcels and deliveries. So it worked really well, Uh, UPS, DoorDash, customers of ours, Um, and then the pandemic hit. (laughs) And uh, uh, obviously traffic and traffic enforcement went to next to nothing. Uh, but we have built all this wonderful computer vision technology, which effectively we put computer vision cameras and merchant storefronts overlooking the curb, which allowed our system to say in real time, to tell drivers in real time where uh, whether avail- whether that curb space was available in front of Chipotle or, or whatever else. Um, so we had this great technology, but all of a sudden no market. Uh, so we quickly pivoted to... Uh, a funny thing happened this spring as we were coming out of lockdowns for the first time. Uh, merchants started saying, hey, you know that camera you put up in our storefront? Um can you count the pedestrians and vehicle traffic going by my store? Because we have absolutely no idea what's going out there in the real world. We can't track it. We don't, It's changing every day. It's changing every week in this very uh, tumultuous time. And overnight, we developed web-based dashboards for them to review this data. And it's been a hit. So uh, we're super excited to have pivoted curb flow from uh, managed curb space, uh, curb management product to uh, providing small and medium-sized businesses with this uh, super crucial data, um, starting with the pedestrian and vehicle data of what's happening in front of their stores. So uh, results have been, uh, uh, you know, a quick serve restaurant chain has introduced breakfast service, uh, in addition to their legacy lunch and dinner business, because they noticed through our data, all of these people walking past their store at eight and nine o'clock in the morning, now 20% of their revenues is coming from breakfast. So we're super, super excited about that. There's a taco chain in DC that is actively managing their staffing levels, not overstaffing, by telling, uh, by, through our data, can tell now, um, how many people are really out there in Georgetown and their other locations uh, so that they don't understaff or overstaff on a week to week basis. So we're, we're excited to serve uh, small, medium sized businesses and giving them data for the first time that heretofore has been inaccessible or uh, non-existent uh, to them.
0: That's incredible. And I could see the, the uh, interaction between that and mobility solutions and mobility planning. I mean, if you know when people are walk, moving, I bet you, you know, Cammy and the uh, planning directors of different transit authorities and transit departments would love to have that kind of information as well. That's incredible.
4: Great idea. Yeah, we have we have a few customers, like Georgetown Business Improvement District. Um, we have a a private train operator that is going to be using us. So, uh, um, a uh, we're working with National Landing, uh, Amazon HQ2's new home outside of Washington, on a number of infrastructure uh, type uh, projects where we could apply our computer vision technology. So, in addition to the SMBs. We're also working with um, large infrastructure type uh, clients, whether on the public or private side. Terrific. Uh,
0: so Rick Usher, you're in Kansas City still today, right? Yes, sir. That's your home. Uh, so you know, you've know, you worked on so many different projects over the years. Tell us a little bit about yourself and was there a mobility related project that you worked on that you're pro- you very proud of?
2: Um, yeah, thank you. And, and um, happy to be sitting in for Karina. Um, And congratulations on her new role. Um, Yeah, I've been uh, with uh, with the city of Kansas City, Missouri, uh, 36 years. Just as you said, retired uh, here in early August. And now I'm in private practice with the Usher Garage LLC. I'm consulting on entrepreneurship, digital equity, internet services, and public policy. So this is you know, the space parallel to, you know, work that is so encompassing when you're in local government. Um, and just I guess my uh, mobility story when I, we moved to Kansas City, 1985, I was able to ride the bus to uh, to work and home, you know, of course, every day for 11 years. And then we moved closer to downtown, closer to my office. And then I was able to ride my bike to work uh, for about uh, 13, 14 years of that time. So we have a a very robust um, transit system, at least, you know, the bus transit system active today. And then in 2012, 14, we uh, finally got to the point where we could launch a streetcar system. And so we have a downtown streetcar line, this 2.2 mile line, and um, it is funded by a transportation development district. So that it's the zero fare streetcar. We also in the last year and a half have gone to zero fare transit uh, metro wide. And, and that's back to that equity issue that Senator um, Watson pointed out earlier that Know that has to play into all these decisions that you're making, especially at the local government level. Um, and now that that KC streetcar, um, it's been hugely successful, and now it's being expanded another four and a half miles or so further south um, to the University of Missouri Kansas City campus, and it will serve an even greater. Uh, residential density is kind of what I'm seeing. But we well, the role that I had in that project was um, to help develop a permit expediting program to support the economic development that came along with that um, that transportation asset. And it's a challenge, you know, between rubber tired transit and steel railed transit that, uh, you know, development comes when you put those rails in the street. And we saw and really billions of dollars of construction that you can tie directly to the but for streetcar question. Um, and uh, as, um, you know, we saw Uber and Lyft kind of run roughshod over local governments globally. Um, I was involved in those discussions. Um, Our mayor at the time, uh, Sly James, um, got a good little video I'll share with you at at some point where he kind of expresses his frustration with that negotiating process. So that led me uh, to try to figure out, uh, again, as Senator Watson was saying, is, is try to have some vision of what's coming next and then how we can start trying to build a relationship Um, kind of a mantra I've had at state government in the past has been, you know, an idea of building relationships outside of a crisis, you know, so what's coming, what can we expect, and how can we um, see what the balance of regulatory burden we have, you know, is, and so by the time um, the scooter companies, you know, started deploying across the the U.S., um, I actually had I think it was two days' notice. You know, it's kind of you know back to the social media thing. My wife one night says, Hey, have you seen David Johnson's wall on Facebook? And I jumped over there and David's a transit advocate, and he's also with the transit authority. And he said, Hey, Kansas City, look what we're getting on Tuesday, bird scooters. And I'm like, Ah, bird scooters, okay. And so quickly um, was able to find you know, who their lobbyist was in Missouri, a gentleman I've worked with for years, Sammy Panetteri. Um And in this case, since it, it was Monday night, you know, and they're coming on Wednesday, um, a lot of these, you know, issues, you have to sometimes revert back to medieval or the pirate code. And I called for parlay, you know, let's talk on Tuesday, let's see what you're offering, what is Wednesday morning going to look like with your scooter deployment, and then how does that meet any shared interest that we might have as a local government related to transit for our, for our residents, and so that um, call, kind of a you know, interesting story of like just the text message thread of they don't want to talk to you because you're just going to say no. They don't want to talk because the horse has left the barn. You know, they don't want to talk because, you know, whatever. And finally, I just had to say, you know, we know what's happening. We're not going to say no. We want to know who to call when we have a problem, where these are going to be deployed and what, you know, your operation is going to look like during these first few weeks. And so by the end of the call, we knew it was only a hundred scooters, you know, not not really, uh, you know, I think the thousands, like we might've seen it several years back, uh, you know, showing up on curbs across like San Francisco and some other cities. And um, they had also then offered us a interim operating agreement that they had just signed with uh, Nashville, I believe it was. So, you know, part of getting them to speak to the launch was to say, you know, we want Wednesday morning's news to be the city and the emerging technology company are working together and not the city is issuing a temporary restraining order. And so that is how it, how it happened. Within 10 days, we had this interim operating agreement in place, and then that led to the formation of a pilot program, which I think is key to, you know, how we go about addressing new technologies and curve lane management, you know, as as Ali has pointed out.
0: Well, I tell you, you know, I mean, I think that you became known to so many people as somebody who understands the intersection of policy and politics, but also implementation. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you you I, I feel like in the assistant in the city management world, in the um, uh, emerging technology world when people would talk about Kansas City and they would talk about you, you know, they seem to know that you would help find a solution. So that implementation could be possible, but let's do it in such a way so that it benefits the community. And let's do it in such a way so we understand, you know, the community concerns and the political concerns. And you were always so good at doing that. Now that you're off on your own, I've got to make sure to plug your uh, website. It's uh, ushergarage.com, U-S-H-E-R garage.com. People should go look up Rick. He is so well-known uh, in our city management world and, of course, on emerging technology issues. So, Cammie, I didn't ask you if was there a, um, is there a project that you're working on now in um, – in San Antonio that you're particularly proud of. I should tell you, I, I, I did tee you up earlier about Art in Transit and about the uh, uh, bus stops, kind of innovative bus stops. The other thing everybody talks about with San Antonio is your on-time performance. I mean, just, you know, you have good on-time performance, you have a really great system.
3: Uh, well, thank, thank you so much. Yes, I well, I'd like to really highlight um, two, two, two innovations, really. One is, um, what we started a couple of years back, which is our mobility on demand, which we brand as via link. Um, and you know, it really, it, at the time I think was one of the first in the country like it. So what it is, it, you know, it, and I know many are operating these now, but, um, when we started this, so it's, so, uh it, it's an area about 17 square miles in the northeast portion of our service area and really an area where you know, our, our regular buses were not able to oper- operate as productively. And so we were able to replace nonproductive um, bus, bus service with this um, system in this 17 square miles where really you, it operates like an Uber pool. Lyft, um, where for the same price as a bus fare, for us, our regular fare is $1.30. Um, you can really go from anywhere to anywhere within that zone, as well as connect into our system. So um, we are expanding that type of service. Um, actually, uh, on Saturday, we open another 14 square mile area in the Northwest, um, which we're really excited about because it's, it's not only has it uh, it's saved costs, but it provides a much more—it's um, much more um, frequent service. So within 10 to 20 minutes for a pickup, um, as opposed to in some cases 60, and then during COVID, some of our our lines even expanded um, to greater than that. Um, so it's better service for our customers. And um, it's, you know, it's something that also with the virtual stops that you can expand and change and really, really be reactive to your customers. So the other thing that we're, um, we're, we're calling it via Link Express that we're um, testing out, we have a city in our service area um, that didn't have um, bus service. So in that particular area, it's called Sandy Oaks, um, um, just south of San Antonio. We're able to provide this service. It's not point to point, but it's basically from that city um, into one of our major transit hubs, um, which is called Brooks, um, and um, and so that also just opened a couple of weeks ago. So I'm really excited about about that being able to provide more service, expand our service area, and provide more frequent service with um, with this. It's also um, all, all of that service is accessible service as well. Now, the other thing very quickly I want to jump um, into is, is a very, very exciting development for San Antonio. San Antonio um, has never had, you know, um, a major capital investment, as you would call it in the federal transit um, world. So what we uh, we just entered in, again, it's called project development, but Our first bus rapid transit line, we call it advanced rapid transit, um, that will serve a 12-mile corridor um, in San Antonio with with what you would think of as bus rapid transit, with dedicated lanes, um, with the off-board fare collection, um, with center running. And so we're super excited about that project. Of course, we're just moving into that but it's really, really exciting to, to see these developments um, and to see people you know, em- embracing the developments um, in San Antonio, just to really augment the already, um, and thank you for saying the great service um, that is provided um, today.
2: No,
0: you guys definitely do. And I mean, you know, it's so funny. How come we never thought of ART as an, anac- an acronym? Uh, Advanced Rapid Transit makes so much more sense than BRT. Uh, that's, well, that's so funny.
3: Oh, well, if I could just say, too, we we call it that because, you know, we are also looking at what the vehicles um, might be like, right? So it might not be uh, a traditional bus. And we're looking at the options for automated, connected vehicles. You know, there's always that question, well, like, you know, light rail will carry more passengers and will bus rapid transit be able to serve the ridership? And yes, absolutely. When we look forward into the future and the different types of vehicle technology, we think it's a very, very flexible Um, Type of system, so it's a better uh, it's a better way to describe our system. Advanced rapid transit, um, rather than bus rapid transit. But I say that because generally people know what you're talking about when you say bus rapid transit.
0: Right, and it sounds like it's a little more enhanced, which is you know, but but you're enhancing it the right way. That's great. So can I also kind of start with you on this as far as you know the future? Do you think that there being somebody who's who's without a car now, do you think that there is a place where the way we drive cars today is going to be, you know, different in our lifetimes. Do you think we're going to see a radical change over the next, let's say, 20, 25, 30 years?
3: I don't know about if, if we'll see a radical change. I mean, of course, I hope so, because single occupancy vehicle, you know, that, that's not a sustainable way to be able to move the most people around, right? Because We're never going to be able to have um, enough space in our roadways, especially if we're talking about expanding, you know, what we do on the curbs to be able to satisfy that. And and so I don't know about that. I hope that we can all, I loved, you know, I wrote down constant communication and the other thing about equity. Um, I I just want to say, I hope so, because, you know, not everyone can drive a car. Not everyone can afford a car, um, you know. Um, sometimes younger and older populations have different challenges. So public transportation is, is in my mind, you know, an equitable way to support uh, mobility—not only mobility physically, but mobility in terms of economic mobility for people. So I really, really hope so. Um, I will say sometimes I think we we take our eye off the ball when we look at automated, um, you know, looking at automated future that might help right, with congestion management a little bit, but it's not gonna really just solve everything, especially if you still have single occupancy um, in your vehicles. And the same thing with TNCs, right? Um, That that is not going to be solving everything because unless we really make space in in our minds and physically for um, for throughput that um, handles more than one person per vehicle, I don't think that it's sustainable. next 20 years uh i don't know about that that i i have to remain positive and and hopeful and i loved hearing rick's focus on implementation too because that's where it's at being able to take what's in and put it out there so anyways
0: Oh, no, this is, I mean, I'm I'm very excited about today, and I think people are hearing what you're saying and getting very, very uh, excited as well. But going back to what you said about Senator Watson, I I, I keep thinking to myself, we're going to leave this, you know, webinar summit and talk about the Gregory Peck-level Academy uh, Award-nominated, you know, performance by a man who's just speaking truisms. That was just incredible. So thanks for... uh, Uh, taking notes on the things that he said. So, Rick, you know, on your end, what do you think? Do we think we're going to be able to get people out of cars in a significant manner? Maybe not out of cars, but maybe traveling differently, not driving cars the way that we do today over the next 25, 30 years?
2: Well, I mean, so if I look back at the last 18 months, my car has been a zero occupant vehicle. (laughs) It's been. And actually, as I think about it, I probably should put it on Turo, you know, the other sharing a car, the the airbnb for your car um, i you know i certainly hope so that that we can uh, reduce car ownership we we've seen it happen just you know anecdotally, I think in Kansas city, you know, I mentioned that I rode the bus for years and I rode my bike, you know, to work for years and I, we would sit in these downtown planning meetings and, you know, thank you for kind of highlighting that we've spent the last 20 years rebuilding our downtown in Kansas city. So if you haven't been here for a while, it is, uh, actually, you know, you talk about 18 hour cities, Kansas city's downtown is becoming an 18, almost 24 hour city. Um, but, uh, you know we would sit in these planning meetings and talk about like the new downtown residents are they going to have cars how are they going to get around are they going to ride the streetcar bus and you know i i would kind of always be the one to say you know i've been riding my bike and about a few years into those conversations as our downtown population was increasing i would just shut up because there'd be two or three other people in the room that would say i walk to work i don't own a car I ride my bike to work. I don't own a car or I use transit. So it's, it's not, uh, I still don't think as easy in, uh, in the Kansas city metro area to, you know, live, um, you know, say, you know, in, in the suburban regions and not own a car. I think there's, there's certainly car dependent areas, but I, I, I'd love to see that happen. And, uh, you know, thanks for highlighting maybe the implementation aspect of what I've been doing. I think that when you look at, you know, regulatory due diligence, you don't really know what's going to happen until you try something. And so, you know, like, like say, curb lane management strategies, or um, we, we, we formed a downtown parking and transportation commission back about 15 years ago, because there were so many events happening that you know, we had to organize between that whole daytime, nighttime economy and, and all the parking garage operators and the venue operators. But there were, you know, a lot of uh, just, you know, let's experiment with this idea of putting ride hailing stops at these locations and taxi stands at these locations. And um, we tried to use some of our smart city initiatives um, to, uh, to be able to monitor. And I think some of it was tied to, well, of course, showing the availability of of different vehicles at these locations, but um, you know, it's important, I think, to tie all of these efforts into like some of our kind of ongoing smart city initiatives.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, you have to look at all the policy making and the overlap. That's absolutely right. So, Ali, uh, last hit on you. Uh, you think we're going to be able to get a place where we have people driving or or, or traveling differently?
4: <laughs> Sorry. Um, I do, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I, I'd like to think so. I think the most important thing is, is uh, n- not the electric vehicles, but actually the, the automated, uh, the autonomous nature of it. So speaking firsthand knowledge, uh, when we were operating Chariot, uh, 50% of our operating cost of a ride was the driver. Uh, after we got unionized, which a lot of public uh, transit authorities are, uh, that moved up to 65%. So um, for better or for worse, by by removing the driver's expense uh, from the cost of a trip, uh, you make it extraordinarily more affordable to scale up uh, mass transit, whether it's publicly funded, privately funded, like Chariot was or, or a mix of the two. So um, I think autonomous vehicles uh, will, will be the one thing, I think it will be perhaps not the silver bullet, but one of uh, the most important change over the next 10 years to help get people out of single occupancy vehicles to, uh, to riding mass transit.
0: And so you've had to deal with a lot of different government regulatory offices, cities, counties, and maybe other overlapping uh, uh, government entities. I was gonna ask you about the challenges of working with government, just being prepared for these changes so that we're implementing these new innovations in a way that makes sense. As you went through this, did you see any one consistent change that government should be embracing so that they can more or more appropriately embrace these new technologies, these new mobility solutions?
4: Yeah, I mean, working with the government, working with most of them, it was it was a pretty awful experience, to be honest. It was, you know, we had in the Bay Area in order to go from San Francisco County to San Mateo County, uh, we had to get the permission of 17 mass transit authorities in the Bay Area to uh, to give chariot permission uh, to to uh, cross county borders and of course uh, many of them said no we don't want the competition from a private uh private mass transit operator so i think a lot over the last 50 years um, government has in in one way or another unfortunately colluded to serve against the public's interest by uh, producing this sort of uh, sham legislation that many people don't exist don't know exists until you come up, uh, come up against it face to face. So I think uh, if people are serious about it in the public domain, they ought to uh, look at these things and root root them out, um, especially in advance of uh, autonomous technology, being able to make privately funded mass transit a reality. Uh, so that was, that was the biggest thing, you know, We tried to expand to Seattle. And before we even uh, started planning, we got a cease and desist letter from the King County uh, commissioner. I mean, just absolute nonsense. Uh, We're just trying to help people. And so you have a lot of rooted interests. Um, People don't want competition. Unions don't want competition. And oftentimes they work hand in hand in uh, preventing innovation.
0: So, Cami, from your perspective on that question, you know, uh, with the kind of new emerging technology folks that might come to San Antonio, do they come with a knowledge and an understanding of government uh, and, you know, the, the, the variance between um, the transit authority and, of course, the city transportation department? Um, and, and do they come in such a way so that they're trying to help find a solution that can be implemented effectively? How do, how do you feel those conversations go on your end?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think it's a it's it's a little bit different right now. I think right now, um, in terms of how that goes, like with our mobility on demand, it's really up to Via to make sure like our procurement processes are such that um, you know like everything can be implementable. Um, you're you know you're asking do do people come with that that knowledge? I, I would say. You know, not 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 always, but some. And I just think that um, I I just I loved what, you know, what Senator Watson said about the constant communication. Um, I'm probably not really directly answering your question, but it's just it's so, so different depending on what it is um, that we're talking about. So. Um, I think, I think
0: that you are. I mean, by saying you know, communication, in some cases, like what Rick was mentioning with scooters from a few years ago, there wasn't even there were so many reported instances of cities that just didn't even have that that level of communication. So you are you are uh, uh, absolutely answering it there.
3: And one of the things I'll tell you that we're doing that I'm, I am pretty excited about. So I talked about those out those you know outer, more suburban areas that we're covering with the mobility on demand. But the thing that we might not yet have an answer to as um, as the transit agency here is the first and last mile in very um, dense urban centers. So you ask, you know, to answer your question, I'm waiting to see. We're putting we're very shortly putting um, a request for proposals out on the street that um, basically asks the question of, you know, who can provide, how do you provide and what does it look like to provide that type of connection um, between uh, in those more densely um, urbanized areas? So more of the first last mile. So that's a chance for others to come to us and say, hey, here's some ideas and here's how this might work with, within the existing infrastructure, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's, it's wait and see, but I think things are improving um, and I, I think we've got a ways to go and I think we have to keep communicating, so.
0: Right. Yeah, and I mean, going back to that on communication. I mean, if folks are monitoring transit authorities RFQs and RFPS, looking for an opportunity, then that is a time to come in and say, "Hey, you know, how can, can we talk about how we can solve this for you?" That's great. So, Rick, just on your end, uh, what do you think about uh, the the communication between the emerging technology companies, people who have new innovative ideas, even just new concepts in transportation, and and working with government. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's a great question because there, I think initially, as I pointed out with Uber, there was a big disconnect. Um, And um, even today, as I've listened to more conversations, uh, there was a webinar earlier on cryptocurrency and how that should be regulated. And the speaker really didn't have an answer for how to approach um, local government and and how to start that conversation. But I think the key is, you know, start the conversation and, and do it in a way where it's not because you launched your company yesterday in that jurisdiction, you know, it's that you're considering company coming to this jurisdiction and then cities do have to speed up their thinking and, and open their thinking. I, I've tried to um, advocate for a, you know, a yes, and approach, you know, go to like improv comedy and find ways to build on uh, what is being offered. And uh, so what we're, we're working on now um mayor lucas our, our current mayor um has uh a, is appointing an emerging technology board and this this board then would be uh made up of uh, five uh, appointed uh citizens and uh so i actually helped like create the Legislation for the, the process. We worked with the University of Missouri, Kansas City, their law school, a professor Tony Lapino has a law technology public policy course that we've used um, six or seven years to help vet like sharing economy business models. Or help us through different city processes. It, it's it's a great way of interacting with universities, but then that also led to the, this this uh, idea of forming an emerging technology board. That law school course they they tracked San Francisco's. They called it the Open Emerging Technology Working Group a, a few years ago. They did a pretty comprehensive report on how to how to build or you know get that conversation going, and so working with that, there's a precautionary principle that uh, San Francisco set up. We've got more or less a, a preamble to our emerging technology board of just how we look at emerging technologies with their, you know, what their beneficial, you know, qualities will be toward, you know, future of work and equity and, and helping with like economic mobility that we've talked about. Uh, so then uh, just recently I've been appointed. To that board. So we'll see um, when our first meetings are scheduled. But the idea, as uh, San Francisco put it, is to create a front door that so many times, you know, these startups biggest problem really is like where you know this is a great question for some local government experts that might be out there but where do where do local governments you know put unsolicited proposals you know they don't return the phone call they 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 don't respond in in some cases um but uh finding ways to engage emerging technologies and these disruptive business models oftentimes, you know, trying to monetize them, there are benefits that that can have to local government. So helping, you know, local governments and states realize that um, is what's gonna move us forward.
0: Now, would that kind of group talk about something? So having Ali here, would that kind of group talk about bringing in curbside solutions? You know, even Senator Watson mentioned curbside management. Just to plug some of uh, the different destinations that I know so well in Kansas city, you've got a couple of very well-known barbecue joints. Not going to say which one is the one that people, uh, that I know like to go to because there's not a right answer, and I learned that the hard way. Uh, there's my friend's really great little distillery there, Tomstown. But you know, getting in and out of like kind of congested curbside areas for different types of pickup, that sort of thing, uh, is that something that your group would potentially be discussing and figuring out how to implement that in your community?
2: Um, yes, you know, I mentioned the uh, the Parking and Transportation Commission. Curb lane management has been a topic of discussion on that agenda for, for quite a while. Um, I don't know that we have an active, uh, program going on right now. I know that, you know, some cities had adopted some pretty comprehensive curb lane management ordinances and regulations. We've tried a bunch of things. We've documented them, but now, you know, how to codify that, how to, how to put it out there so that we can, um, work with the private sector, because that that I think is something that the cities do need to realize is the value of that curb lane parking space. Right. And and not that it's a parking space, but that curb lane adjacent to a business or, or a residential development, extremely valuable to keep that space um, moving and and, and serving the neighborhood, you know, in the the best way possible.
0: Yeah. And then also just to plug Ali for a moment there for uh, with curb flow, you know, so many of those destinations I just mentioned, I'm sure would love to know the foot traffic going back and forth or even vehicular traffic going back and forth but the foot traffic, going back and forth in front of those destinations. Uh, Cammy, on your front curbside management you know Senator Watson mentioned it uh, and it's something that drives me bananas for buses four bus lanes because I feel like so often it is the right lane where people are pulling over to do Amazon delivery you know and other delivery like that the right lane often tending to be the bus lane um, so now you're stopping a bus from moving forward and potentially the you know 30 people that are sitting on the bus uh, it's 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 hard it's it gives me heartache i have a real problem with it and a heartache is a nice way to put it uh that doesn't allude to the profanity that i use whenever i see it um are you guys talking about doing anything related to curbside management in san antonio do you think that's something that would help i think of our those downtown san antonio streets especially that would help maybe uh, relieve some of the congestion issues that you might face sometimes
3: Sure, and we we're always talking about it, right? Um, and including what's like, like sidewalks, um, and and working on those types of projects. Um, so we're in con- pretty much constant communication because that, right? I mean, everything that you pointed out. I, I will say that you know, as we as we invest, you know, in roadways, which we continue to do, I, I just feel that the mindset really is something that kind of needs to to shift to thinking about, you know, sort of managing beyond the curb as well. And because there's not space, you know, we we, we talk about, you know, um, basically, you know, the use of the roadways for everything. And you, it, you, it just can't be, right? It just can't be that. it, it You can't have, um, unless, you know, unless... Unless there's just, you know, some part of the roadway that's absolutely not used. I guess what my point is that really the mindset really needs to change as far as what we're what we're setting aside for, you know, for the curb and the curbside management and what we're doing and the money that we're putting into it. Um, Because, you know, right now the, the same the same sort of mindset and the single occupancy vehicle it's you know and, and saving the space for that it, it's not doing much for what we can do um as far as beyond the curb as i think that put it
0: right 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 so ali obviously this is your science uh you know as we uh, are enough cities talking about curbside management do they embrace this issue well enough do they understand how important the curb is
4: Uh, are, are talking about it, but that's sort of where it ends. And that that was the issue that I noticed when doing a sort of tour of tour of America in 2019 um, before the pandemic I visited. I believe I was in Kansas City and San Antonio uh, and about 15 to 20 other large and medium-sized cities. And um you know, it's sort of number two, number three on the list. And, you know, every couple of years, something new comes like scooters or something. Um, And then, you know, uh, what do we do with autonomous vehicles is the next thing. So it keeps getting pushed uh, beyond the tip of the tongue to something, something lower. Uh, I I just think that um, uh, there are, as Cammy was saying, there are really hard and unpopular decisions that need to be made uh, on the street, on the curb. And uh, there's not too many people in public transportation that have the gumption uh, and have the bravery and courage to uh, you know, sort of put their opinions on the table and uh, speak for uh, commercial drivers who, you know, unsafely are getting out into the right of way. You know, we we look at the UPS guy as an enemy, but, uh, you, you know, because he's double parked and he's in my bike lane, Uh, But he doesn't want to do that. Uh, He he doesn't want to double park. I've interviewed hundreds of them um, and know many of them by their first name, um, delivery drivers and and, and the like. Uh, So so uh, I I, you know, that was another motivation for us pivoting was that uh, if if the public officials aren't going to be serious about it, then the operators and the drivers who work for those operators are not going to take it seriously either. So then you have this inertia uh, at the curb where there should be um, innovation at the curb. And uh, there's only so much that, uh, you know, a private third party like us with all the right technology that could solve it. There's only so much we can do. So, um, and of course, you know, cities are the typical curb is run and regulated by the city, not by the state or by the federal government. So in order for real change to happen, it's got to be at the local level. And um, that's just um, a lot of of pushing a, a boulder up the hill.
0: And of course, now you've really moved from being a scientist of the curb to the sidewalk as well. I mean, the pedestrian travel is such an important topic for for every city, and you know for what the, for the audience that you're speaking to. Right? It's
4: really interesting. Now, let me just bring up a subject, Matt. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, Georgetown in Washington D.C. Business Improvement District hired us recently to evaluate whether the extended sidewalk that they pushed out into the parking lane um, is actually, uh, during COVID, because of social distancing, Uh, now that lockdowns have come off, are people actually using this extended sidewalk Uh, and uh, the early results from our computer vision and our data is yes. And that's awesome. Uh, People are walking, people are using the sidewalk and uh, you know, the, the bid and other uh, entities, you know, uh, sort of pedestrian friendly and shopping friendly want to keep extended sidewalks there. So, and kind of the realization that people don't drive to, urban cbds anymore to go shopping rather they take the metro they take a shared bike they take a scooter they walk there they they take a bus there Um, and so hopefully our data uh, i expect our data even though we're not explicitly doing curb management anymore as a focus our data is going to contribute to the conversation uh, that we need wider sidewalks we need better regulated curbs uh, and we need technology to help that out yeah! Wow. Well said. So, just in
0: the last moments, and just a quick, short answer from everybody about what you're most excited to see as far as upcoming technology. I do, as you think about that for a quick moment, I want to remind everybody or tell everybody uh, that so many of the folks here that are you know, registered for this come from transportation planning backgrounds and so on, and of course, working around local government probably have a copy of uh, Richard Florida's uh, Rise of the Creative Class, uh, and that's when I first got to know our keynote speaker. Uh, Senator Watson, when he was still the mayor of the city of Austin, uh, and he was quoted uh, often throughout that book. And uh, looking back uh, the other day at a book that I hadn't read in a long time, I was reminded about the importance of creating uh, a a creative uh, an open space that 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 embraces these new create the, the creativity and the happiness and the joy, the great experience that people have going to places like downtown San Antonio, Kansas City, and all the places where you work, Ali. So last uh, quick short answer, I'll start off with you, Rick Usher. What's the technology you're most excited to see that's going to impact this?
2: I'll try to lace in maybe some of what's going on in chat here too, but I, I think the technology I'm most interested in that we share with you in Austin is symmetric gigabit internet. Speed, uh, which is, uh, you know, essential infrastructure to about everything we're talking about here. Um, And one of the the chat comments is on just further on the sharing economy, how you make that more of an economic mobility model, how you can monetize that, that true sharing economy definition of otherwise idle assets. You know, like I think where we first met when you were at home away. Uh, you've got spare bedrooms or a second home. How do you how do you monetize that? And so I think that will that'll be a useful and I think powerful uh, opportunity coming to the, very
0: soon. Yeah, you know it's so funny. I for you, you, you we 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 have gotten so used to how we speak about infrastructure. We really have to remember the internet. Uh, Ali, what do you think? What's the uh, technology that you are most excited about?
4: Uh, I'm excited about uh, Hyperloop. So I think if we can replace a lot of short haul. Uh, flights, uh, if we can replace diesel trains with, you know, um, environmentally clean, very fast uh, short haul or regional trains, you know, Columbus to Chicago to Indianapolis to, you know, things like that. Um, I think that would be really neat. And I think that would uh, have a knock on effect uh, and and sort of uh, give people a new promise about mass transit. A lot of people in, 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 middle America, don't believe in mass transit. Um, yeah, very car centric. Uh, and I think innovations like having a hyperloop between San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas, that would be super cool. I think you saw some sort of hints with that with some of the the fancy bus lines like Van Loon that you have in Texas. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that's my answer. And I, I hope it comes sooner rather than later.
0: If I could take a Hyperloop to San Antonio, I would come down for lunch and go to Uh, Meteora. Cami, what are you most excited about?
3: Come on down. So I'm really excited about all the technologies that allow us to have another tool in our transit toolbox um, for mobility on demand. So all of those technologies that are built into services that we can add and, and augment to our regular bus service that allow people to get around safely, um, economically, um, and really efficiently, as well as equitably, um, so that we can really, really build our, our system in, in more creative ways. So all the technologies that are that are built into um, mobility on demand, I would say. That's my final answer.
0: I love it. Uh, so Cami, we're really excited to watch what you do down there with Via Link and Advanced rapid transit. Um, so congratulations and everybody keep an eye on San Antonio. If you haven't visited San Antonio since the pandemic, get down there, it's a great city. Uh, Rick, the Emerging Technology Task Force where I think probably every city could benefit from something like that because it would foster what Senator Watson was talking about, that constant communication. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, And for everybody who would like to look up uh, Rick, it's, he's at usher ushergarage.com. Uh, and Ali, it's exciting. You're making this pivot to working with retailers. I think retailers and especially those uh, downtown alliances that you mentioned, the PIDs and the bids uh, around the country, they're going to want to know how people are walking and what those traffic patterns are like, Those that foot traffic pattern. Uh, and you really, you've gone from being a, uh, a, a scientist of moving people effectively on the roadway to getting uh-huh. people to the curb, now to the sidewalk. I'm seeing a progression uh-huh.
4: here. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we just want to quantify the space and give data to people who haven't had access to it before. So we're excited. You can look up more about
0: Ali's uh, uh, project he's working on now at curbflow.com. Well, thank you so much. Thank you all for joining us. And thanks to Senator Watson as well. Uh, his words were incredible. And I, I, we'll, we'll have a recording available for everybody because I know that so many of us were scribbling those thoughts down. So thank you for joining us and we'll hey. be back next month. See you. Thanks Bye-bye. for having us. Bye-bye.